Um, so the beast is going to basically do what he did. And so you can kind of get an idea what the beast is going to do. Um, we've been looking at Daniel's seven years. The seven years began with the, um, a covenant being made, usually with Israel. And I'm, the guess is Israel in the Middle East, allowing Israel to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. Their worship then wouldn't have commenced then at that point. Again, this is the future seven years. In the middle of that seven years, he's going to break the covenant, and his true self will be revealed. And so in 2 Thessalonians, we see that scripture that the Thessalonians were concerned about missing the day of the Lord. And Paul says to them, you have not missed the day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord will not occur until, and he gives two markers. One, the apostasy occurs, and second, the man of lawlessness is revealed. And so that's this this beast or antichrist. So in the middle of this three and a half years, he's going to be revealed when basically Satan empowers him. Satan is kicked out of heaven about that time. He empowers him, and he then will begin to... um, persecute what he can find. Basically, anything that is of God, in which case it's going to be the church um, and Israel. So he's going to carry out his uh, vendetta on the church in Israel for about seven years, three and a half years, the last three and a half years of that seven. And at the same time, God is going to pour out his wrath upon the unsaved world. Okay, so the church is not going to be subject to the wrath of God, but we will very likely experience the wrath of the beast. And, you know, you may ask, well, what happens if that happens? God has you in the palm of his hand. He's never going to lose you. He's going to give you whatever you need to say. He's going to give you whatever strength you need to endure whatever comes your way. Sometime during the last three and a half years of that period, the church will be raptured. The dead in Christ will be caught up and resurrected. And then those who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And that's found in 2 Thessalonians. It's found in Corinthians. Uh, The scriptures are actually up on the board there. At the end of the seven years, there's going to be a major battle between Satan, the beast, his false prophet, and the unsaved world, they're going to attack Jerusalem. And Christ will return with his saints and will do battle with the beast. It's really not a battle. He simply will destroy them. The false prophet and the beast will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan will be cast into a bottomless pit. And the millennium will begin at that point. So he is going to be, Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years to prevent him from deceiving the nations, and the millennium will begin. Now there's probably going to be a period of time between the end of that seven years, the end of what's called the tribulation, and the beginning of the millennium as events take place as far as new heavens, new earth, those kinds of things. Okay? So what we're going to look at today is the millennium itself, and so the millennium, by definition, is a thousand years. 
uh, Satan is bound for that period of time. And if you'll turn to Revelation 20, uh, that's the scripture that basically deals with the millennium. Revelation 20, beginning at verse 1 through verse 8. And we looked at this last time, so we'll just kind of quickly look at it again today, just to kind of get you on the same page. Revelation 20, 1 through 8. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He threw him in the abyss and locked and sealed it over him and kept him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. So at the end of that thousand years, after that he must be set free for a short time. Okay. So he's going to be set free at the end of that thousand years. And then I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so that begins, if you will, what's called the millennium. Okay. This is the first resurrection. It says, blessed are those who have take part in the first resurrection for the power of the Second death has no power over them. Okay. Okay. Any questions so far? So that's uh, basically a basic, you might say, the, the scripture in, in, the, in the Bible that talks about the millennium. Okay. All right. Make sure this is what it is. Okay, so what's the purpose for the millennium? Bottom line is God has made promises to Israel made promises to the church, made promises to the nations. And as of, as of our current date now, a lot of those promises have not been fulfilled. Those promises will be fulfilled during the millennium. Okay. So he's going to fulfill promises made to Israel. And these are basically some um, promises that God has made to the nation of Israel with respective scriptures with them. Uh, it's by no means an exhaustive list. Okay. And so let's turn to, let's just take a couple of these. Let's go to the Isaiah 11.12. So if you want to turn to Isaiah 11.12. It says, He will gather the remnant of Israel and Judah, one nation. Okay. You remember... Um, Oh, let's just read it first. So Isaiah eleven twelve. He will raise a banner for the nations and will gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Okay, remember, um, the nation of Israel, first of all, was split into two nations at the time of Solomon. The northern kingdom, Samaria. Southern kingdom, Judah. The southern, the... Northern Kingdom Samaria went into captivity by the Assyrians around uh, 800 BC or so. The Southern Kingdom Judah went into captivity uh, by the Babylonians. Okay. The Southern Kingdom was returned from captivity during the reign of the Persians under a king named Cyrus. 
And so they, as at least some of them, came back from captivity. The northern kingdom, nobody's ever heard or there's no record of where they are or what's happened to them. Okay. So what this is saying is basically that these exiles, both north and south, will be, re- be regathered and brought back to the land. Okay. That hasn't happened yet. Okay. Uh, if you turn to Benjamin Isaiah, go to Isaiah 32. Thirty-two, verse eighteen, Isaiah thirty-two, verse eighteen, it says, "My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest." Okay, so if we look at the nation of Israel at the present day, is that scripture being fulfilled? No. Okay, so we're looking at basically, basically all this entire list. Uh, Israel's going to live in the promised land. Well, they're in the promised land, but they're in a very small chunk of the promised land. They're going to live in peace. They're going to live in tranquility. They're going to uh, rule the nations. They aren't doing that. So all of these things that God has promised to Israel need to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled. Because God, if he makes a promise, he fulfills the promise. Okay. Any comments, questions? So basically, you can look at this list. You can go through and look at the scriptures and you know, verify for yourself that, that's, that these promises have been made. And again, this is not by any means an exhaustive list of the promises God has made to the nation of Israel. He's made promises to the nations. Okay. And again, he's going to fulfill those promises to the nations. Um, if you turn, this will stick to a quick, uh, turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. It says, Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year, worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is basically talking about, first of all, something's going to happen to these survivors, uh, but they... If you notice, they're the ones who attacked Jerusalem. When was Jerusalem attacked? You know, the current era obviously is being attacked <laughs> on a daily basis. Nonetheless, <laughs> it will be attacked at the end of the seven years when the beast and the false prophet and his armies attack Jerusalem. Okay. And he's going to assemble his armies basically from the nations. And so this is saying that uh, anybody the end of that, the armies are going to be destroyed, but there's going to be people left over in the nations. And it's saying that those survivors, those people who are left in the nations, are going to go up to Jerusalem each year and they're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, There's other promises that they're going to worship the Lord. Uh, uh, Scripture relating basically to Egypt and Assyria but by extension, probably to all the nations. So there's going to be uh, a a difference in the, you know, if you look at the nations now, uh, are the nations worshiping the Lord? And the question, the answer to that would be to a small extent in the sense of church within that nation. But the nation as a group, as a nation, is not worshiping the Lord. Okay. So that's going to change in the future. He's made promises to the church. 
And the church um, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 3, it says, Do you not know that, saint, that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life? Okay. And they, this concept that scripture was, they were you know, basically trying to judge within themselves and turning it over to the courts. And Paul is saying uh, that should not be the case. The church needs to judge its own because of this scripture. You're going to judge angels. In Revelation 2.26, to him who overcome and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Remember, uh, chapters 2, chapter 3 of Revelation are written to the churches. Okay. So to him who overcomes, he's going to give authority to judge the nations. So the church will be judging the nations. Are they judging the nations now? No. When are they going to judge the nation? During the millennium. Yes. What's that? When, are, when you say the church, are you saying Israel or everybody? This is the church, us. Those who uh, accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah. So that church. Yes, Lori. So this judgment takes place during the millennium? During the millennium. Correct. So that passage where we read uh, that um, the, the, those who are beheaded or resurrected and will rule with Christ, that resurrection would be the resurrection not only of that group who were beheaded during the, during the, or the martyrs, but also the church itself that's resurrected. Yes, I saw another hand. Yes. During the millennium? Okay, we're going to come to that, so hang on to that question. Okay, I'll, I'll get that one. Yep. Okay, other comments, questions? All right. Okay, rule and authority. So who's going to rule? First of all, Jesus is going to rule. And he's going to rule with absolute authority. He's going to rule righteously, justly, and faithfully. So during the millennium, you know, we, we read that in that, that passage um, at the very beginning from uh, Revelation 19. Um, if you look at Revelation 12, 5, I'll just read this real quick for you. Revelation 12, verse 5. She gave, and remember this is that passage, in Revelation 12 is that passage where uh, the woman is being pursued by the dragon, and it says, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. So the, the rule of Christ is going to be one of, it's going to be an absolute rule. There is no, you know, there's no voting. There's no, uh, would you want to reconsider that decision? Um, he simply will rule absolutely. Okay. Um, if, you know, let's turn to Isaiah 11, verse, Isaiah 11. That's more, give me more information. Isaiah 11, we're going to look at verse 1 through 5. Isaiah 11, beginning verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor on the earth. Verse 5, righteousness will be the belt and faithfulness a sash around his waist. So first of all, who is this verse talking about? Who is the shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse? First of all, who's Jesse? Jesse was the father of David, correct. Okay, so David would be his son, and who is a lineal descendant, who is lineally, lineally descended from Jesse? Jesus, okay. So this is talking about Jesus, this, this um, a branch or this, this idea of the branch is used quite often throughout, especially in Isaiah, to refer to Christ, okay. And so it's characterizing that he's going to rule, he's going to judge. If you notice, he's going to judge in righteousness. He's going to judge with justice. Um, and he's going to be, it says, righteousness and faithfulness are his characteristics. Okay. So that's how Christ is going to rule. He's going to rule absolutely, but he's going to rule with justice. He's going to rule with righteousness. Okay. Yes? Sure, yeah. I think it's just to show, it, you know, that it's, um, the authority, okay? <laughs> I guess I would just say, you know, if you don't obey, I'm going to whap you with my scepter, kind of thing. Um, it's, it's to show that the, this, the, the rule is absolute, yes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember when they, when the, when the, in Daniel, he's talking about the various nations. When he talked about the nation of Rome, it's characterized with having iron teeth, which crushes everything, as opposed to gold teeth. Okay, so that's the same thing. That's, it's a strong thing. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. He'll dash the nations. Yeah. So his rule is going to be absolute, it's going to be authoritative, no questions asked, and it's going to be righteous and just. Okay, the saints, they're going to rule as well. And this is just, we've basically looked at the scriptures already. Um, so they're going to be ruling with Christ in what way? Don't know. But nonetheless, we will be there in the millennium ruling with Christ. So maybe you get a country, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, there's also this one called the Prince, or David. If you turn to Ezekiel 37. We're going to look at Ezekiel 37, 24 and 25. And David is, remember David was said to... He was of the tribe of Judah, and it said the scepter would never depart from Judah. Okay. Of course, that's fulfilled in Christ, who will be the final member of the tribe of Judah. 
Nonetheless, David was given promises that he would rule. So here in uh, Ezekiel 37, beginning verse 24, my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful. And they, again, is referring to the nation of Israel, just to give the context. Um, they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where their fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Okay. So there's a promise here, basically, these are, again, more of the promises to the nation of Israel, but also a promise to David that he is going to rule the nation of Israel. So during the millennium, you're going to have Christ ruling the nations along with the saints. But David is going to be, at least according to this, king over Israel and ruling Israel. Okay. So within the millennium, you're going to have, well, we're going to get to who's there. All right. So who is being ruled? Right. Oh, how'd that get there? <laughs> Let me back up one. So I got this one out of order. Let me go back one. Okay, there we go. Jumped one slide somehow. Okay, so who is going to be being ruled? Uh, we looked at that scripture previously. It said the survivors from the nations that attacked Jerusalem. So they're going to be there. We know that people from the nation of Israel are going to be there. Okay. So what's the characteristic of these people from the nations? Well, first of all, they attacked Jerusalem. They tried to destroy God's kingdom. So that says, very likely, they're not saints. Okay. So these people that are coming out of the nations are going to be unrighteous, Unsaved people. And that's who's going to be being ruled over. Okay. okay? They're also going to be mortal. Uh, when does death in Hades get basically put away? Anybody know that? Death and Hades are basically put into the lake of fire at the white throne judgment, what comes at the end of the millennium. So throughout the millennium, death is still an active participant. So people will live and people will die. People will be born and people will die. Yes? Do, they have, do these people have an opportunity when they see how, how Jesus is ruling and his righteousness and stuff, will they have an opportunity to actually have the Holy Spirit enter them and understand what's... Understand that? Um, when I look to scriptures, again, once you enter into the tribulation, it appears the only nation that God deals with is the nation of Israel. When you look at the millennium, you don't see people getting saved. We're going to see at the end of the millennium that when Satan comes back, they just all revert. So um, there's nothing that says there are. So I guess you could say maybe, maybe some get saved. Uh, I don't see any scriptures that, that would support that. Okay. 
and Israel, yeah. So Israel is there, and they're going to be ruled over by David. Okay. So what will the millennium be like? Okay. So far we know who's there. We know who's, that it's being ruled and ruled absolutely with righteousness. Okay. Um, if you'll turn to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. The millennium is going to be a time of environmental perfection. It's going to be a time of um, unlimited peace. It's going to be a time of basically when people grow old and there is no sorrow. So turn to Isaiah 11. We're going to start with verse 6. Yes? Did you tell us where Satan is right now? Satan is bound in the abyss. Yep. So throughout the millennium, Satan is bound. He cannot deceive the nations. So that's another thing that's going on. People, well, if you look at the survivors from the nations, they still have a sin nature, but they don't have Satan to tempt them. They're only tempted by their flesh. Okay. It doesn't, it appears that when Satan is bound, that his minions are out of commission. You don't see anything. There's nothing that says that the demons are active. Okay. But there doesn't say that there isn't. So uh, I would guess, you know, What's that one when you, I'm trying to think what that saying is, when you destroy the head, the, the feet don't know what to do or whatever it is, something like that. <laughs> okay, uh, Isaiah 11, beginning verse 6. says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion will eat, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed and the bear their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain or the earth, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Okay. So these are all uh, you know, and little examples of, of basically animals and wolves and lambs don't normally lie down together. Lepers don't lo- normally lie down with goats, okay? So the whole um, structure of the environment is going to change, okay? I mean, right now, all we see is, you know, National Geographic lions, you know, catching zebras and ripping their stomachs out. In the millennium, <laughs> that's not going to happen, Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. doesn't say what anybody eats. Well, actually, there is one thing. We'll get to that. Yeah. There's, there's some fruit. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 2 says, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Okay. 
So the millennium will be a time of, let's say, environmental, a lot different than what we see now. I assume mosquitoes won't bite in the millennium. And uh, <laughs> there will be no war. <laughs> okay. It also says um, a time when no one, uh, I'm sorry, a time when Israel, by extension nations, lived the old age. Uh, in Isaiah 65, it says, Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought to be a youth. Okay. So people are going to live to old age. They're still going to die. Children are going to be born. They're going to live, but they're still going to die. Okay. Okay. And of course, Satan is bound, so temptation by Satan is... Uh, not happening. As far as his demons, nothing is said. Okay. So now that we're going to look at the millennial temple, so that's, can, any questions on kind of what, what the millennium looks like as far as, you might say, the environment, what it is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they will not have a chance to accept that. It appears that they will not. There's, okay, let's put it this way. There's nothing in the scripture that says that people are being saved during the millennium. There's nothing in the scripture that says they are not being saved in the millennium. So, um, I mean, Christ is ruling, so Christ is there. Okay. Um, but what we're going to see at the end of the millennium, I'll just tell the end before the beginning, in the end of the millennium, when Satan returns, all the nations are going to rally behind him and attack Jerusalem. So it's like their heart hasn't changed. And there's that, you know, if you look in um, Romans 3, there's that passage that says, no one's righteous, no one seeks after God, no one is good. That whole passage of describing what man is like um, that outside of God choosing and changing someone's heart, nobody gets saved, right? And so it's not, it appears that uh, during the millennium, something else is going on. Whoops, something just happened. <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. Yeah, the sin nature basically um, causes man not to choose God. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're, that very well could, could be what's going to happen. Yep. That's on another hand somewhere. Yes. So when Satan's released after the thousand year reign, mm-hmm. that's
Yeah. Um, good question. Don't have a good answer for you. Um, when you look at the scriptures involving that period, which we will look at, it doesn't say that there are anybody that doesn't follow. So it's, you might say lack of evidence that anybody, does, anybody rejects him. They simply follow him and attack Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah, that's that. Hopefully, going to go there. Yes, that is. Yeah, the purpose is to fulfill fulfill, um, fulfill promises. That's one purpose, but there is another one, which I think, at least, it seems to me, the only logical one. Okay. Okay. All right. So the new temple uh, is found in Ezekiel 40 through 48. Eight chapters are spent on describing the temple. There's people who say it's spiritual. I don't think God would spend eight chap- chapters on something that was simply spiritual. So I think it's a real temple. Um, yeah. It's, um, Solomon's temple was, well, actually Herod's temple was 650 feet uh, square. This one's 875 feet square. And then it has a courtyard, an area around it that's a mile on side. So it's huge. In fact, it won't, you know, and when you look at it, it won't fit on the Temple Mount. So either the Temple Mount has to be changed or it has to be built someplace else. But anyway. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's going to be a change in topography at the beginning of the millennium, yeah. Uh, so whether the, the Millennial Temple was present during the seven years uh, the last seven years of the tribulation? Probably not, but who knows? It could be. So it looks like there's probably going to be a third temple, the one that's built for the Antichrist, and then a fourth temple, which will be the Millennial Temple. Okay. Um, if, you know, if in Zechariah 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, Tell him this, Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says, here is the man whose name is the branch, and who's that? Jesus, Jesus okay. He, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty, and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Remember in the nation of Israel, there was a tribe of Judah, which was the ruling tribe, and there was a tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe. And all the priests were derived from the tribe of Levi, the high priest from the line of Aaron, Aaron being a Levite as well. Okay. So this is saying that this one called the branch, which is Jesus, is going to build a temple, and it says he will be clothed with majesty, sit on his throne which says he's going to rule, and he will be a priest on the throne. If you remember in the book of Hebrews, when it's talking about Jesus Jesus as a high priest, it says he is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Anybody remember who Melchizedek was? 
He's an Old Testament. Go ahead. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and high priest of God Most High. So he was encompassing the two of those. In Israel, the two were always separate, but in Christ, they're going to be brought together as king and high priest in one after the order of Melchizedek. Make sense? Okay. So Christ is going to be ruling in Jerusalem during the millennium, but he's also going to be the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem. All right. This is a picture of the temple. Well, not a picture. <laughs> this is a representation of what the temple probably looks going to look like. If you, if you read through those passages... It just goes on and it you know, goes on and on and on. You know, like the wall is this many cubits thick and this many cubits high, and it gives you a lot of detail. And so, I pulled this off the internet because I didn't want to try and figure out all the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is kind of what the temple will look like. It's uh, I say 875 feet square, and then around it is going to be a holy or sacred ground, which is going to be a mile on a side. Yes? So is there a mercy seat in that thing? I can't see the picture. Um, there is the Holy of Holies, which is, well, on the diagram, be to the far left. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so there is a mercy seat. God will occupy this temple. The Spirit of God, so it'll be the Holy Spirit. Okay. So if you look at this next slide, the temple is filled with the glory of God. Okay. And Ezekiel saw that earlier. Um, he saw that the glory of God leave the temple, leave Solomon's temple prior to its destruction by the Babylonians. And that's that passage there in, in 1 Kings, well, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 10:18. He watches the, the Spirit of God depart from the temple. Okay. In Ezekiel 43, 1 through 7, we see the Spirit of God coming into the millennial temple and filling it. Okay. The first Kings passage is when the Spirit filled the temple of Solomon. The Exodus passage is when the Spirit filled the tabernacle of Moses. Okay. The Temple of Zerubbabel, the one that was built uh, under the reign of Cyrus, uh, it appears the, the Spirit of God never dwelt in that temple, nor did it dwell in the temple of Herod. Okay. But the millennial temple, the Spirit of God is going to fill the temple and will ocup would occupy the mercy seat or the Holy of Holies. Okay. Questions so far? Make sense? In where? In the Holy of Holies? No. Oh, mean us as, as saints? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Sure. Yeah, because we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Never thought about that. Okay. Let's see where we are here. Yep. Um, worship and sacrifice in the Millennial Temple. 
There's going to be festivals and, spe- and feasts. Uh, the ones specifically listed out in, in the Ezekiel passage are going to be the Feast of the New Moon, the Sabbath, Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Those four. But it talks about... Um, Basically, within the temple, there's going to be blood sacrifices of animals. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's, uh, Ezekiel 45. I'll just read this one passage to you. Ezekiel 45:17. It will be the duty of the prince to provide the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths, and at the appointed feast of the house of Israel. He will provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. Okay. So during, in the millennial temple, what's going to be going on in that temple is what basically went on in Solomon's temple, went on in the tabernacle of Moses, and went on in the, te- in the temple of Zerubbabel. That is... Sacrifices are going to be offered. Cows, sheep, goats, birds. <laughs> Good question. question is, why? Jesus is serving as high priest. And what do we know about Jesus? Yeah. He sacrificed himself once for all so that there would be no need for sacrifices. But yet, in the Millennial Temple... There are sacrifices. And we can't assume it's for them unsaved because it said, you just read, for the nation of Israel. Yes. So the nation of Israel will be doing sacrifices. Yep. Um, it also says that the nations will go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is what's called the Feast of Ingathering. It's in the, I think it's the seventh month. And it's a seven-day festival. And associated with, it, with that festival is grain offerings because it's the fall harvest. So it's, it's um, thanking God for blessing the harvest. But there's also animal sacrifice. There's a, if you look at these festivals, you know, these and actually, let's go to the next one. These are the festivals that were, if you will, that you see in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament... Uh, Israelites would have done. Sabbath, Passover, Feast of uh, First Fruits, Pentecost, Day of Atonement. Those are all uh, this, and if you look down there, it says sacred assemblies. Okay. Whenever there's a feast, like for example, Feast of Tabernacles, it's a seven day feast. It begins with a sacred assembly. Sacred assembly is just like a Sabbath. You can't do any work. You. Um, you know, all the, all the things associated with Sabbath are associated with a sacred assembly. If a sacred assembly falls on a Saturday, then it's a Sabbath. If it doesn't, it's a sacred assembly. All right. So every festival that's more than one day, which is the Day of Atonement, would be the only one that's only one day, would begin with a sacred assembly, would end with a sacred assembly. Okay. And on the, for the sacred assemblies, there are blood sacrifices that are offered. Okay. Is that just to feed the people or just to keep the structure until the uh, old earth 
is passed away and then the new heaven is... Uh, well, the, the sacrifices are given into the temple for the priests and the Levites. That's their source of food. Yeah. So that system is still in effect during the millennium. Because no temple is taken away from the law until all of that is taken away. So potentially that's still instated because they're still unsaved on the earth. Mm-hmm. And that way the pattern is kept as God was saying yesterday. Yep. 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 So the Jews are still under the law and now actually the world is under the law because they are being forced to um, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the only one that's listed. There, there could be others. Okay. Yep. So the, the, the millennium is going to be a time of law. In fact, the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, you, you ask, well, why do the nations celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? What's the big deal? You know, you know it turns out that the Feast of Tabernacles every seven years, the law is read. So every seven years, the nations would have be coming together. They'd come together every year, but in the seventh year, they would come together and they would hear the law. Yes? So, if the world's under the law, which is a huge revelation to me, yep. is there no grace? For the world? Not it appears not. Yeah. It appears not. Yeah. Remember, this is, it's, it's, Christ is ruling in absolute authority. He's ruling with an iron scepter. There's nothing that says there's any grace. There's nothing that says there's mercy. There probably is, but I don't know. And the nation of Israel is going about their temple worship. And the nations are involved in that as well. This, this is going on for a thousand years, by the way. <laughs> yes? How do you connect this for sure with the millennium? What's that? How do you connect this temple with the millennium? I'm not sure what you mean. The, is it because you don't see that it's happened yet, so it must be Well, okay, yeah, there's, there's a, the, the temple in Ezekiel is... Oh, she's asking how the temple is connected to the millennium. And first of all, you know, it says that the um, nations are going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. So to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in a legalistic way, you have to do it in Jerusalem at the temple. So there has to be a temple. Okay. The temple in Ezekiel has never been built. Uh, It's probably too big to be built in and around the mosques on the Temple Mount. And so the likelihood is it's the Millennial Temple. That's, you know, whether it is or not, you know, the, the best guess, most, at least commentaries or scholars would say that it is the Millennial Temple, if it is real. You know, some say it isn't even real, but that's another story. That make sense? Okay. All right. Okay. Let's see what we got going here. Yep. All right. Okay. So we did that. So that's that passage in Deuteronomy is the one that says that every seven years 
the um, laws read at the Feast of Tabernacles. So. Okay, sacrifice and feasts and celebrations. Why do they do it? Why, why are there feasts? Why are there sacrifices? What's going on there? And this is just kind of a summary of, you know, why the Jews did their festivals or why God instituted festivals. It was so they would remember him, remember who God is, remember his blessings, and be thankful Good question. Hang on to that question. <laughs> that is a very good question. Yes. Why are they doing sacrifices? Christ is in the temple. Okay. All right. So these are just reasons why the, the offerings were made in the Old Testament. They're going to be the same reasons the offerings are made in the New Testament, or the millennium. Nothing's going to change there. Well, if they're following the law, then they would, you know, forgive their brother, do all the, do all the things the law tells them to do. How are they held accountable if they don't have the Holy Spirit, or even like are all the same rules of you, if you blaspheme, you get stoned, things of that nature? So there's there's nothing that's okay. There's nothing to say to what extent the law is being carried out in the millennium, but my guess is the law will be the law. And whatever the, whatever the penalties of the Old Testament law, it doesn't say there's a new law. It just simply says they're offering sacrifices. Um, and so I would say that the law that existed in the Old Testament will be the law that exists in the millennium. And the nations will be abound by that, yeah. Exactly. They have no excuse. They Very good. Hold that thought. Perfect. Okay. So in the temple, there is, these are the main players that are going to be present there. Uh, there's one called the prince, uh, which may be David or maybe somebody else. There's the Levites. There's the priests. And there's the high priest. So basically it's the same structure from the Old Testament, except the prince is somebody new. Okay. The prince is going to be the... Okay, the Spirit of God will enter the temple through the eastern gate. The temple faces east, and he'll enter through the eastern gate. Okay. That gate is then shut after that. The only time it's opened is for the prince, when the prince comes in to worship. 
The prince will provide a lot of the offerings, the animals, and so forth for the people. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there are these characters, or these, not characters, these players. <laughs> okay. okay. So the Levites, the priests, the high priest, and the high priest, of course, is Christ. Okay. So he's ruling as king and priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, I'm not going to go into detail on those. The priesthood is the, are obviously all going to be Levites. The priests are going to be of the order of, from the tribe of Zadok, who's related to, well, he's basically if you trace it all back, you'll get back to Aaron eventually. Um, we will be there, ruling them. But as far as right, so we will be there, but we won't be sacrificing. We will be ruling. Okay, everybody else that's there that is being ruled is going to be Israel, unsaved Israel, and you might say unrighteous world, and they'll be living, dying, being born. But much better off than they have ever been. Okay. Okay. Question so far makes sense? So, so, so when we're doing a meeting with Christ, are we going to be out helping other people come to Christ? Doesn't say what we'll be doing. I think we'll be keeping order. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, as I say, it, it, there doesn't appear to be getting anybody being saved during the millennium, just like there's nobody being saved during the tribulation. So when is the time when the saints are bringing people to Christ and they go out and then to bring mothers, fathers, and sisters, and brothers to Christ? That's now. Yeah, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Okay. God had, had dealt with the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament, right? And when, when under, in the New Testament, when the Jews rejected Christ, rejected Paul's ministry of Christ, they switched from the Jews to the Gentiles. Remember it says in Romans that the Jews received a partial hardening until the total number of Gentiles comes in. So now is the time of the Gentiles. So now is when Gentiles are being saved. At the, in the future, God is going to switch his focus. It, it appears he never has the same, he doesn't focus on both groups at once. So right now he's focusing on the church. In the future, he will pro- focus on the nation of Israel. And when you look through the, the tribulation, people are being cooked by the wrath of God, and all they do is blaspheme and curse God. Nobody repents. So somewhere in the Bible I read that we will go out during, during that period, I thought, later on, yeah. and during the millennium, and we will go out and try to bring others in, and we will be I'll have to find that. I've never seen that before. Okay. Where are we? All right. Priests. I think we can get through all this. 
Uh, there's going to be a river flowing out of the temple. Um, I think I have enough time to finish this, actually. Uh, and it's an interesting river. It flows out of the south side of the temple, then goes out east out of the temple, and flows to the eastern sea. And it gets deeper as you get away from the temple. And along the edge of this river are trees. This is found in Ezekiel 47. It says, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water of the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. So there's going to be this river running from the temple to the eastern sea, and there's going to be trees growing all along it, and they're going to bear fruit and leaves year after year after year, and you know, month after month, and people will eat those for food, and then the leaves themselves will be for healing. Okay? Okay. Division of the land. Hopefully you can see that. This is what Israel will look like during the millennium. All the tribes will have their allotted... It's not very good in focus, is it? I'm going to do this and see grab this. All the tribes will have their allotted lands. And this area here is the priests, the Levites. The temple is right there. This belongs to the prince. And this is Jerusalem. Other than that, it's just all the tribes. And you can go through that passage in Ezekiel uh, 46 and 47 and, or 47 through 48, and it delineates the sizes of the properties and what the boundaries are and where they are. Okay. So this will be the division of land for the nation of Israel. Okay. At the end of the millennium, Satan's going to be released. And he's going to deceive the nations again, and he's going to gather the nations and attack Jerusalem. So it's just like the battle that occurred. Okay, yeah. Back up one. Whoops. Can't get it to back up. <laughs> Oh, well. Okay, so he's going to <laughs> gather the nations and going to attack Jerusalem. Um, and it says he's going to ga gather Gog and Magog, and God is going to destroy them, and Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that will be the end of the millennium. Okay. The nations that were there will, or that come up and fight will be dead. Are you, work, are you doing that or am I doing that? <laughs> okay. After that will be what's, what's called the white throne judgment. And that's found in Revelation um, chapter 20. And basically it says the dead, all the dead will be raised. Anybody whose name is not written in the book of life will be brought before the throne. They'll be judged based on the books. And the one book they're being judged on is the book of life. That determines whether they go into the lake of fire or not. And then they're judged with other books, which could say that there are levels to hell. 
uh, Dante's Inferno, if you've ever read it, that kind of thing. And the last thing that's going to happen is death and Hades will be cast in the lake of fire. Okay. So the millennium has ended with a battle. Um, white throne occurs, takes place. And then there's eternity. And we're not going to deal with eternity. Okay. And so these are my questions as why the millennium <laughs> occurs at all. First of all, it's occurring because of promises. But one point was raised, and it's a good point. I see, that, I see the millennium as an object lesson. Object lesson to the nation of Israel, object lesson to an unsaved world. That even in perfection, perfection of environment, perfection of lack of war, lack of disease, long life, lack of sorrow, a ruler who's righteous, just, the best ruler you could ever have. That's the nations. And then you got Israel. They've got their sacrificial system all set up, working like clockwork. Yet in the end, the nature of man prevails and they reject Christ and try to destroy what God has built. So I see the whole millennium as an object lesson, a thousand-year object lesson to the world, saying basically exactly what you said, that on your own, you cannot be righteous. You cannot keep the law. You cannot obey God. You cannot seek God. You cannot... um, be saved. That goes to the nation of Israel. They have their sacrificial system. They're all great. Just like the Old Testament, the Old Testament Israel, what did, what, did the, what did they teach them? That the only way they could be saved was to call for mercy from the one who gave the law. So, that all that to say that I see the Millennium as an object lesson. It otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Why would the temple be there with all the sacrifices when Christ is there and ruling, the one who paid the price for it all? Yes? Yep. So there's your two things you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That neither of those systems work. Yep. Perfection yep. is where one lives, and then yep. this law that they can live under. You know, yeah. And if you look at the, the scripture that talks about you know, the nations going up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, there's penalties for if they don't. Like there's no rain, there's this, there's that, or you know, plague. So even when Satan is not tempting them, they still are disobedient. They still want to do their own thing. Yeah? So, if I understand correctly, you're saying that the people to whom this object lesson are being taught don't seem to have the option of learning. <laughs> That's probably right, yeah. It basically would, you know, if you say they have no excuse... 
for... Because that's the difference between this mm -hmm. and the other two. Yep. It appears they don't. They have that yep, yep. They have the option prior to the last seven years. Right. Yes. Isn't that because they haven't learned the Bible and they don't have the knowledge and wisdom to do Yeah. Yep. So the knowledge of the Lord is going to be there. Yep. And whatever that whatever that means. Yes. Right. Grace and truth will always be in place. I mean, Jesus is the same yesterday, today. Yep. Yep. So grace and truth are there, yes. Whether they're being accessed is another question. Yep. Other questions? The Holy Spirit, is he working on the hearts of these people at this time, or is the age of grace finished? Um, there's nothing that says he is or isn't. All it says is God's spirit is dwelling in the temple. Um, whether he's doing anything in the hearts of people, it's mute on that. Could be. I say, it's, there's, there's nothing that says people are getting saved. There's nothing that says they're not getting saved. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, you really can't say which. I, I appreciate Joe's position, and it's one that we all should uh, take note of when the Bible is silent on something. Um, we can speculate, but we can't draw conclusions. And so, like this last question, are people going to be saved? Well, uh, I, didn't, I don't read that anywhere. Are they not? Well, I don't read that either. And so it's, it's pretty important to just um, take your stand on things that are revealed and things that aren't revealed. Um, you're just going to have to wait and see. I do want to clarify one thing, though, that is really was kind of bothersome. Um, it was the question about being a vegan. Uh, <laughs> if you read in uh, Ezekiel 47 about that river that runs, it says the river will have plenty of fish in it, and the fishermen will be on either side with their nets. So... Uh, <laughs> So they're either uh, catching fish for their cats or, uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, Deanna will have this up on the website with all the notes and references, and you can uh, pursue that. Uh, but Joe, we appreciate your diligence. Um, finding answers to those questions requires a great deal of digging, and uh, it's nice to have, uh, it's nice to have that uh, context there that Joe provided. Okay.